In this episode, I am joined by the creators of the new superhero game Destined as we chat about the process of character generation and how initial concepts are created and developed. Welcome to the official Mithras Matters podcast, Season 1, Episode 14, Character Concepts and Creating Heroes. Welcome to Mithras Matters, a podcast dedicated to the Mithras rule set and all its supplements. As always, I am your host, Inwills, and I have to confess to being rather stupid. As I was writing the script for this episode, yes, I do actually write scripts for these, I suddenly started to wonder how close we are to celebrating the first birthday of the podcast. Then I realised that if the podcast is monthly and we are on episode 14, then I actually missed my one-year-old birthday celebrations. Oh, never mind. Let's look forward to the second-year celebrations of the podcast next April. Put the date in your calendars now. So, as we slowly start to emerge from lockdown, I hope you are all looking forward to meeting up with your familiar gaming groups to enjoy some real-life role-playing sessions. Although I started my role-playing journey sat around a huge dining room table at home with my mom kindly giving over the room to a group of teenagers, all my RPG experience now is currently online. It does provide some issues at times, especially if internet connections become faulty, but we managed to continue playing throughout the lockdown period. Also, can I say thank you for all your support. I really appreciate everyone who listens to the podcast, contributes or has kindly become part of the Patreon crowd. The whole podcast takes some time to create and the workload is eased by your contribution and dedication. So I know I say it every episode, but I just would like to say again, huge thanks. Okay, time for some news as we delve into the campaign updates. After the exploits of the party in the Dark Tower adventure, I feel that I need to provide some explanations as to what was happening. So I'm working on recording an adventure reflection video which should be published soon. So if you want confirmation for what you thought was happening, then look out for that video coming your way soon. Anyway, back to the campaign. You might have noticed that we have recently started to run a module with some pre-gen characters. The reason for this is that Chuggerwugger, who plays the young and talented sorcerer Gulliver, has decided to take a break from the game for a while. We will all welcome him back with open arms when he, when or if he decides to return. But in the meantime, we have recruited a new player. I'm not 
sure how you all deal with new players entering your campaigns, especially if they are new to the rule set, but I usually have two methods of accommodating this. First, I bring in an NPC for the player to take control of. This allows the player to experience the system before they actually make up their character. Medivac, the player who plays the Nomad from the Steps Hasra, played a guard in a few sessions in order to get used to the system before he actually created his character. My second method, and the one that which I chose this time, is to run a module with some pre-generated characters so that the new player again experiences the game. I actually really like this second option since it also allows the existing players to have a vacation from their own characters and play something different in different roles. And you know what they say, a change is as good as a rest. I actually run quite a fluid campaign and I completely understand that it is the players who make the game, not necessarily the GM. So if players get bored or start to dislike their characters, then I would be quite happy for them to change. However, by having certain breaks in the campaign, but not in the role playing, we can continue with the existing campaign feeling refreshed and ready for more. Anyway, we now welcome Captain Kangaroo to the campaign and hope he will enjoy his stay with us. I just wanted to remind you all that this podcast would not happen without everyone's contributions and support. And if you would like to contribute to the podcast, then why not drop me an email or message and let me know what you would like to cover. You can email me at inwills at gmail.com or send me a message on the various forums I frequent. Okay, have you ever seen that meme of those two jam jars, one almost empty of money and the other one overflowing? The label on the almost empty jar says swear jar. Well, the overflowing jar has the label of characters which I've made up which I will never get to play. Well, being a GM, I relate very strongly to that overflowing jar. I often create characters when I get ideas which I never really get to play. I've even made videos and wrote blog posts about them. But how do we actually create characters? What are our starting points? How do we develop them? Well, I managed to grab Mike and Brian, the creators of Destiny, the new superhero game based on Mithras, from their socially distant respective bat caves to have a chat about what I think is one of the best features of any role-playing game. Character creation. I'm joined um, now with, by Mike and Brian. Um, do you want to introduce yourselves and say what your job is? You can go first, Mike. Uh, Mike Larimore. I was the writer on Agony XC. I wrote Elevation for M Space, and I'm currently working with uh, Brian Pivik on uh, Destined for Design Mechanism. Yeah, and I'm Brian Pivik. Uh, I am the managing editor uh, at the uh, Design Mechanism. I've uh, worked with them for a number of years on a large number of books. And uh, a few years ago, I posted up to uh, Laws. I sent him an email and I just asked him if he was interested in possibly doing a superhero supplement. He said yes. That kind of fell through. Uh, but then I got the editorial for Agony and Ecstasy, 
really enjoyed that. And uh, Moz reached out and said, hey, do you guys want to work on uh, a complete standalone superhero supplement? And I jumped on the the opportunity. I was just trying to think, I think it was episode 1.6 that we actually had a chat back uh, that was titled Superpowers and Fluttering Capes. And that's when you introduced us to the game. But I wanted to do something slightly different this session. I, I I'm very much aware that in lockdown or in this time where a lot of the time we start, sit and get character ideas or we think about new characters. And I'm really interested how character generation will happen in the superhero supplemental rule set. And I thought we could probably bring it all together, link character generation to superheroes and normal NPCs in the fantasy context um, as well. So I was wondering individually, where do you start with your characters? What's the the first thing that you sort of like think of when you're making up a character? So when I'm looking at a character, I generally have an idea about sort of what they are. Like, I'm, I'm partial to ninjas. I like ninjas. So, for example, in the uh, 5e game that I'm actually playing, I started out with a monk because I wanted somebody who was, like, really awesome in martial arts. And then from there, I kind of developed the background around it. And then, you know, from there, just kind of built the stats uh, to to back that up. Unfortunately, he died pretty early, you know, first level character. Yeah, but, you know. So when I design a character, that's the way, that's the way I tend to approach it. Um, for NPCs, because I'm primarily a GM, I tend to look at the, the backgrounds of the characters as run by the players and then develop that NPC around what would be a good antagonist uh, to that character, um, what would be a, help, a helper for that character. And then from there, I just, you know, again, develop stats. Again, they're very, they're very, uh, very quick and dirty when it comes to NPCs in my my experience, but that's that's just like the way I run yeah. my games. Dude, I, I actually, I've only played um, 5e, um, D&D 5e once or twice, but I played Advanced Dungeons and Dragons first edition. And there was a book then called Oriental Adventures, uh, which was all set up with all the ninjas, et cetera. It was, it was absolutely brilliant. I loved it. What about you, Mike? How, how do you create them? Well, first, my question for Brian, is your ninja really dead? Or is he just hiding very, very well? Uh, I'm pretty sure he's dead. I just, I created a sorcerer because, you know, my, my monk was really bad. Um, I, I'm kind of in the same boat Brian's in. I, I've typically, for most of my gaming career, have been primarily a game master. So it's only relatively recently. I, I have a, maybe the last decade or so, I have a group where everybody likes to, to game master. And everybody's excellent at it, so it's kind of a nice thing. We do a round robin where we kind of switch off, so I've got to play a lot more. Um, so for me, a big part of it now is that since I haven't had a lot of time to play over the years, is I kind of go on to the concept, you know, I'm a concept first person, but I look for something that I've never tried because I've kind of like a rogue, you know, warrior character, you know, for most of my gaming career, so, you know, I played my first wizard, you know, in 30 odd years of gaming, you know, probably about five years ago, my first cleric, you know, in a 5e D&D game. And I'm currently playing a luchador um, in a shadow run game. So, or Mexican wrestler. So, yeah. So it's just one of those things like trying concepts that things that, you know, just 
seem interesting or strange or fun or, you know, we had a very lighthearted game a little while ago that a friend of mine ran where I was a, a paladin and I intentionally <clears throat> dropped his intelligence set down as low as possible because I wanted him to be just a completely oblivious to everything around him, just, you know, and just kind of a, a fun, silly character. So, I mean, the concept is always first, but then, you know, then after that, and that's why one of the things I like about Mithras is passions because, you know, as a, my background's in psychology. So it's about how do people think and tick? So I think of, you know, what's motivating, what's driving the character. And, and that kind of goes for when I game master too, you know, why yeah. is this person dealing with the characters? You know, why do they have an important role in their lives or how are they going to screw them over or how are they going to, you know, try to help them and, you know, what's, what's their reasoning behind it. So that's a big part of it too. So. And I, I really like the passion element of Mithras. I don't know if you've seen the character I play in Leoness, but um, Serfod uh, has a passion of falling in love easily. Uh, <laughs> I'm always trying to avoid being successful rather than being successful in that one. So I really like, um, and I'm sure there's some psychology behind it somewhere, but I really like sort of like evil um, characters and I always love um, making up not necessarily chaotic evil or really nasty back um, stabbing characters but people who've got that um, evil tinge to their personality and so when it comes to superheroes I'm firmly on the supervillain side so with the with the new game is that going to be possible is does the character generation start from that concept I would say the character generation and the intent behind this book was a sandbox that we really, we really wanted something that people can take and mold and shape into whatever campaign that they want. So if you want to play a campaign of villains, that's, you know, perfectly up to you and your group and, you know, and there's nothing in the game that would restrict you from doing that. Um, it's all about your passions, your motivations, you know, whatever the, the, design, the plan for the campaign actually is. Um, so, I mean, yeah, no, that would work perfectly well. And you think even in terms of, um, comic book medium, I mean, the suicide squad, you know, are quote unquote reformed villains, you know, who are basically being coerced into working for the government. And then there was Marvel's Thunderbolts with about a group of villains that pretended to be heroes when all the main heroes vanished from the world. So, you know, there's definitely precedent. And even if you go into some of the mainstream heroes, you know, the Punisher, you know, he's a very, very messed up guy who has no problem gunning down a whole room full of criminals. And so, you know, his, he's at best a anti-hero, but even when he first debuted in comics, he was a villain. So, you know, I think there's absolutely, you know, room for that within this game. This is your game whatever you want to do with it, whatever stories you want to tell, that's the whole point, purpose behind it. So, so that allows that wonderful flexibility that we, we've known and loved from Mithras in any case um, to create and adapt it more to how players want to play or how GMs want to actually GM it then. Exactly. And, and, and to me, even villains, you know, the best villains have definite shades of gray. Right. You know, the, their motivations are more complex than just, you know, except unless, you know, like someone, the, the Joker, you know, who is very much, you know, psychotic and, 
but most villains, you know, there, there's a reason or they feel that they're right. You know, I, I think even in the book, I think we have an example. There's a, a section in the Game Master's thing about creating villains and talks about what motivates them. And, you know, a good example is like Lex Luthor, yeah. who, you know, believes he is the good guy. And I think most villains really do. They don't go into it believing that they're the bad guy. So, you know, I think even that lends room for a lot of complex characters and interesting player characters doing that kind of campaign. Fantastic. I know when in this sort of like the Mithras rule set, we have this idea of their um, profession and their culture, the culture, then their profession. And I must admit, when I'm making NPCs up, I, I don't tend to dwell a lot on that sort of like part of the character generation. I tend to think, oh, they're going into the campaign. Maybe profession comes in now and again, but I sort of like mix and match. Do you, do you think culture is an important aspect of your characters or your NPCs when you're creating them? Um, for myself, culture generally has an impact on the game as a whole. I wouldn't say that it necessarily has such a big influence on mm -hmm. character development or NPC development. But if I'm playing, a, let's say, a fantasy game where mm -hmm. you, know, you have some primitive and then you have a barbarian character, I'll try to play up on that as much as possible. Um, within Destined, mm -hmm. you know, and, and forgive me if I, if I say this incorrectly, Mike, but in my opinion, like, culture is generally pretty sub, uh, subsumed by the powers that you gain as a, as a character. You can, of course, and we have examples of that where you can play a character sort of like Black Panther where you come from, you know, a, a culture that is far more advanced than, you know, standardized, you know, comic book culture, um, or you have superpowers and you come from like some small island Polynesia that is, you know, never been in touch with, with modern technology. So the opportunities are there for, you know, you to utilize that culture uh, as much as you feel, as, as much as you feel free to as a, as a GM or as a player. Yeah. I know exactly. I think we have four cultures in the, in the game as of right now, and they're all pretty simplified, but because of that same reason, like you said, there's so much more that goes into a hero. Um, right now it's urban, rural, archaic, and advanced. And basically the idea is to kind of cover, you know, a lot of superhero stories might take place in a, a massive superhero city. Um, but then you have someone like Superman who comes from a small town. And how does that change his sensibilities in terms of how he approaches things as a hero versus someone like Batman who was, you know, raised in this massive city. And then, you know, archaic for those characters who maybe fall between the cracks or got shunted through time or someone like Wonder Woman who came from an isolated culture. And then advanced could be your time travelers from coming into the future, your aliens, you know, like Black Panther, like Brian said, that comes from this highly advanced um, culture that you know, it's kind of giving you that that basis but yeah no I, I agree it's it's something that it's more it's more of a, a an extra element to the character's background but not absolutely essential yeah and I, I really like that idea that it's impacting on their um, moral decisions or how they view the world because they might have come from a very small place where you know they think everything is perfect but once you get to the big city you know that there's much more of a, a range of people all having their own thoughts and actions so, so what about professions then 
Is that something that's important in Destined? And what about your own character generations? Do you go for one particular profession all the time or not? Like I said, I, I'm a fighter rogue guy. So I'm, 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 I'm kind of in Camp Ninja with Brian a lot of the time. <laughs> uh, I like the, the characters that kind of fade into the background as much as possible. So wow. that's kind of where I lean. A lot of times when, you know, profession, you know, it, it's kind of something. And I think that's the, the nice thing about Mithras is that, you know, when you really go into it, you know, culture and, prof- and profession are a starting point. But because the way the system develops and your character develops, you're not locked into that. So, you know, you could start out being a warrior and then pick up magic. Or you could start out being, you know, this country bumpkin who comes from a small town. But then you become this very, you know well-spoken educated you know that you 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 grow with your character and that your character doesn't have to be locked into that you know and which is is something which always appealed to me with a game like this is that you know when you're you know not not say anything disparaging about D, but part of the thing about D is when you are a warrior you know you can multi-class you can switch to a different class but for the most part you are sticking to what your primary class is and this just gives you a background. It's there to kind of be an element to develop your character's story. So, You both said that you sort of like start from the concept. Mm-hmm. Is it the concept that then you, you look for a profession that sort of like matches in with that? Yes. Or, or do you go from the profession around the other way? I'm usually concept and profession. Yeah, I'm the same. I must. I, I do like that. There's the opportunity in Mithras to um, go into other skills like your hobby and get some skill points slightly out of your profession, which really allows for that that diversity of you know not all um, single professions are the same. There's a range of skills. So does Destin have profession professions then? When we're superheroes and supervillains. Yes. Yeah, we do have professions. Uh, the way I played it in my game, uh, my playtest was that the profession was the, the outward identity of the hero. For, I had one player who, he was, a, he was a physician, he was a doctor, and he was there helping the people in the poor area of, of Gamelo City where the, the setting takes place. And, uh, you know, that was, that was what his day job was. Now, of course, a lot of the powers and things that he chose kind of reflected his, his chosen profession as a, let's say, as a, as a, as a human, not as a superhero. Um, and that kind of fed back into what skills he had and then, you know, vice versa, his powers. So it all kind of works symbiotically. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's I, the same thing. We kind of kept the professions. We covered, tried to cover all the bases that we could. But again, it, it's kind of a, a background element to your character. And, you know, and, and I think that's a good way of looking at it is that, you know, it, it's, it's one of the things that we kind of talk about <clears throat> through the book is the idea that superheroes focus a lot on duality. You know, the idea that you have this <clears throat> normal persona, you have this normal person that you either are or that you're pretending to be, and then you have your superhero persona. And they're very, very different. And I think we even have a discussion in there somewhere about the idea that, you know, as an optional rule, that you should have a different sets of passions, you know, for your superhero persona versus your civilian persona, because you act differently. You know, like, I'm, as I'm wearing a Batman t-shirt, I'm going to come back to Batman a lot. But, you know, the idea that Bruce Wayne in public is not going to be going out and beating people up, you know, in the back alleys. 
you know, he has a persona he has to maintain and the way he acts while he's being Bruce Wayne, but when he's Batman, he's completely different. And I think that would be an interesting thing to explore in terms of a, a superhero character. And uh, yeah, and I, I love that coming from the supervillain aspect in the case that there is this duality there that I, I can be very much, you know, in the day job, very much um, somebody who's fighting for cause, you know, political causes or whatever. But then, you know, as a vigilante, I sort of like completely change. What, what about the skills? Because in Mithras, the, the profession sort of like dictates the skills. Is that going to be the same in Destiny? Uh, yes. <clears throat> That's still a very fundamental part of it. The character creation in general is the exact same in a lot of ways as Andrew Mithras. Um, you, you still get professional skills from your culture. You still get professional skills from your profession. That's still a very important part of it. You still have the bonus points uh, that you can still add on additional things past that. So it, it's still very much the core game in terms of that. That So those really do determine that. Um, and we do have the option in there too. We added the option from the companion about the quick creation. So, cause some people just want to get right into the action. So there's a little fluidity there. If you want to just make a character quickly and pick a couple professional skills that fit what your back, your concept is, you can do that as well. Fantastic. Do you, one of the things I really love about sort of like fantasy setting is this idea of creating this party, this party that all sort of like relies on each other. And you, you, I often think to make it effective, you need certain roles within that party. You know, we have Bartleby, who's very much the, the healer and the information giver. Uh, Hengis and Hazra are the fighters, you know, and Gulliver's throwing magic left, right and center. How does destined actually deal with that party organization is it the same or is it different um i i can speak i'm sure brian you can speak to from your place test experience um superheroes is kind of an interesting genre for me because you know you look at like the avengers you look at the justice league and and if you really get down to it there are roles in there you know there is a, a tank you know there is a healer there are, you know are those type of typical characters and i think you have that within this as well. I know in our playtest game, um, we have the strong guy, we have the fast guy, we have a character that is a shapeshifter, we have a character that's psychic, we have a character that can transmute matter, and then we have a character who doesn't think he actually has superpowers, but has very strong super luck. So he just thinks life is just very coincidental. Like he, he just happens into like a lot of good circumstances coincidentally. So, but you know, they're not any typical roles, but they work so well together. Um, and they each kind of fill in the gaps. You know, you have those characters that, you know, they're, they can use their power set for one thing, you know, like one of the characters that's the super strong guy and one character has telekinesis. They could use their powers if a building was collapsing to keep rubble and debris away from people or, in a recent session, the they couldn't get to a hostage. So the super strong guy decided, well, the walls aren't that thick. So he just made his own doors. So he took a different approach while the speedster's kind of running around. So I think there's a little more, I think you still will fall into a lot of those roles, but I don't think it's necessarily necessary. You know, it, it's just what, what you bring to the table, what your powers can do and how you can 
use those in a creative way to solve a problem. I think that one of the things that I am most excited about with Destined is the, the wide variety of powers that we have. And I think that that kind of feeds into my approach as a GM. I'm never like, okay, we have to have, you know, a ranger and a healer and this and that. We don't have to have these like Tolkien-esque, uh, you know, concepts of, of what a group of heroes is. I take whatever my players give me and make the story work around them. And destined, I mean, there's so much variety in the powers that, you could start somebody at a street level and the number of powers that they have and the approach that they would have is going to be different every single time. Mm -hmm. So I think as a GM, it gives you so much more flexibility in the stories. Um, so yeah, again, that's, that's one of the things I'm really excited about with Destined. I say one of the things that we've even found in our own like campaign was, um, you know, one of my first superhero RPGs was the classic TSR Marvel superheroes role playing game. And that was well known for having a random power chart, you know, that people would do. So if you didn't have a concept, you just roll and see what you had. And with this, the story that we're doing with the playtest campaign involved several characters who woke up in the middle of the woods being chased by unknown assailants and no memory of who they are. And they didn't know that they had powers and they started to emerge. So my players actually opted. I created a random power table for Destiny. And they didn't even know what powers they were going to have. So we played it that way. And it, it, it kind of, they kind of adapted to that. And it's been a lot of fun. And we've actually, as course of playtest, we've actually been doing something in the story where we started a street level and they only had a, one or two powers each. And now recently they've gone through some training and they've got a backer. So they had some time to kind of hone their powers. So we bumped them up to the next power level. And they've already determined that playing at street level played a lot different. Just like Brian was saying, it plays a lot different than when you're playing at Epic, which you have some more powers and you have a little more potency and, and better skills and you approach things differently. Uh, I, I almost like get the feeling that sometimes I find it really hard to run a fantasy setting with just one player and one character because it can they can quickly run into issues you know if they're really sort of like a healer then you know combat might not be able to happen but i get a feeling that destin can actually accommodate those single players who are just being that one hero you know because it might not need that that holy trinity of the tank and healer and dps is it am i getting that is that correct i like to think so yeah um, I know in, in my game, um, my, my players chose powers that weren't specifically like, you know, combat style powers, but with some of the boosts and things that they had with their powers, they could actually hold their own in a, in a gunfight with a bunch of mooks. So uh, I think that the opportunity is there if, if, you know, you as the GM understand where the, where the player is coming from, what kind of character they want to play. And then as from a player perspective, understanding what the, overall storyline is going to be the campaign is going to be and then developing your character around that yeah and I, and I think that's really 
um, powerful. I, I really like that. I, I noticed that we were talking about um, street level beforehand. And just, just to make that, can you just quickly go over that? Because somebody might not have listened to the previous episode when we talked a lot in detail about that. But there are different sort of like levels of plays, aren't there, within the... Yes, we have three different levels of play. Uh, we have street level, epic level, and paragon. And street level is you might have one, two powers at most. <clears throat> I think I think at best you can have three powers, um, <clears throat> and you're basically relatively normal people who have a slight advantage over other people. And <clears throat> in terms of playing that. I could say just from our experience, it does play that way. You know, I think Mithras in general, I, I've I've always remarked how people go out of the mindset they have with other role playing games is that you know we you're, you're just basically a walking bag of hit points in a lot of games, and you can just wade into combat, and you have a very definitive numerical measure of how much life you have left in you, so you kind of gauge it that way. But you know, one of my first favorite experiences with Mithras was them going up against a giant in a fantasy campaign I was running and having no idea what to do with it because it wasn't a Dungeons and Dragons Hill giant. It was a, a giant. They didn't know what it was going to do to them. They didn't know how powerful it was and they approached it completely differently. They were very cautious. And I find in the street level games, it's the same way. You know, you can't wade into a group of, of criminals and gang members just planning you're going to come out the other side without any scratches. You might actually get seriously hurt or killed. Um, Epic is kind of, I would say it's a very typical power level for superheroes. Um, I think what we said, Brian, like the X-Men are probably a good example of Epic. Um, a lot of the Avengers. That you have some powers and you have more skills, but you're still not completely indestructible. Um, I think across the board, that was one of our design goals that, you know, this, this book, you're not going to be able to play Superman. <clears throat> You'll be able to play a Superman-like character but you're not going to be shrugging off every bullet or shrugging off rockets, or you might be very durable, but you're not completely indestructible. Um, and that's even Paragon, which is the highest level. You are very potent. You know, you're much more potent than the average criminal, but you know, that's where you're going to be fighting more supervillains and dealing with the, the bigger threats. So, so I assume that you have been GMs in your campaign. Is, is that correct and i just i just wondered how how have you gone about making up npcs within uh destined because it, because you've got that element of this their superpowers do you go for superpower villains or is it more sort of like they have like lex Luthor that might have huge companies and lots of money how, how do you approach that in my game uh i actually went for like a shadowy figure in the background who was kind of running everything yeah so my characters began with kind of you know falling into some of the side activities of this group or organization and uh, then starting, you know, questioning the people that they had captured or that they had beat up, um, asking questions about, okay, who hired you to do this? What's going on? You know, and then so on and so on and so on until, you know, reaching the, the final person. I actually, I went with a super intelligent, uh, almost like a, uh, an organizational, 
almost like a business-like organization, I would say, for for this group uh, with this guy at the head who was wanting to take over Gemelo City and and you know turn the the uh, the the barrio, I guess, for lack of a better term, into you know a a, a very advanced, high tech place, kind of like Silicon Valley. So that was the that was his ultimate goal. Um, I didn't during my play test actually play with super villains as far as super powered villains. Uh, I kept, I, yeah, I just kept it very much like my characters were the only heroes around. Um, and I know Mike, I think you did something quite a bit different. Um, in some ways, yes. In some ways, no. Um, we we're kind of going into uh, if if you I know you know I know you played Agony Nexusy and you read through it. So you know that there's kind of a couple unanswered questions in there about to the origins of the villains involved and what created them. And I'm kind of building on that story in my campaign. And there is kind of a shadowy group behind the scenes who is manipulating events and has manipulated the lives of several of these heroes. And that's kind of the background element. Um, but actually, the strange thing was that we played a session a couple weeks ago, and it's the first time I've actually used a supervillain, aside from when we did the playtest for Agony Ecstasy in our group. And it played better than, not the two iron horns, but it played better than I would have expected. I wasn't sure how it was going to play, to be honest. I was kind of, kind of a little nervous because it was a villain that didn't have, you know, the typical, you know, durability powers. They weren't a very physically imposing villain um but she was very good at teleporting and she was a thief and, and it was just this battle between her and a couple of the heroes and it was very tense and it was very fun and we had a lot of you know a good time with it and everybody used their powers throughout the whole thing and nothing was too overwhelming but everything had a bearing in the overall that, that, fight. Sounds fantastic. And that, so, I love, I was just thinking of the comic strip, you know, when you see that shadowy figure that is all dressed in black, or, you know, lurking in the shadows. I, I love that feeling. And to be honest with you, I hadn't thought about an organization. You know, I was just like thinking of a super villain, but this idea that there's a huge organization in the wings, you know, dealing sounds absolutely fantastic. Do you, would you suggest players come from the powers first or the concept first? Because people might be starting the game not knowing what powers are there. Is it quite flexible so they can think of a concept, then the powers will be there? I, I think very much so. I, I'm personally of, it depends on what kind of game you're playing, to be honest. Like I said, we, we did our game, they did know what powers they were coming into it. Um, now several players started later and they actually created their, um, heroes just from the ground up with their powers intact. So we've done both approaches and I think both were kind of fun. It was fun to have a character that was discovering their powers that, you know, was, it wasn't necessarily tip, you know, something they had planned for, but they had to figure a way to adapt to them. And it was fun having a, a hero that was just, he already had his powers in place and was trying to figure out how to use them to do some good. So he, he had a little better control over them. So I, I think it depends on your style, to be honest. I, I think if you want to play a typical superhero game, you probably want to go from the power spurts. You want to kind of make sure you cover, have your, all your bases covered. You want to make sure that you have characters that complement each other so you're not having two heroes do the exact same thing. And, you know, they're going to step over on each other's toes all the time. 
And I think as a game master, you know, we, we talk about it in the book, we give warnings. There are certain powers that are just powerful, you know, mind control is a great example that, you know, we, we have a couple limits on mind control as is that, you know, it's not something you can just do willy nilly, but it's something that as a game master, you know, both using it against your players, but also having a player that uses against your villains, you have to consider that. So it's important for, I think the group as a whole to work together, even with powers, you know, especially. I would absolutely agree. Uh, I think that you can approach it from either direction as a player. Um, the the first sort of play test, we actually ran both characters. I have two players and they both ran the same characters through the play test. At the beginning, when they created their characters, we did a standard Mithras walkthrough of, hey, you know, you have to roll for your characteristics, et cetera. Um, and then from there, they chose their powers. And I said, you know, you guys can either choose at random, because I actually had the random table that Mike loaned me, um, <laughs> or you guys can just pick and choose whatever whatever you want. And then we got about halfway through, and I said, okay, guys, let's switch out some powers just so you guys can play with something else. So choose specific powers that you really want to have. They don't have to be combat. They don't have to be investigative. They don't have to be, you know, anything that's going to be, you know, rules breaking or anything like that. But just choose some powers that you're interested in trying out. Um, and they just inserted those, removed the old ones that they wanted. And then, you know, we, we ran from there and that worked just as mm. well. When when we were looking at the character generation, uh, Chuggerwugger, who plays Gulliver, he came from... He wanted this um, this character who was some kind of thespian that when he started to describe things in his lyrical voice, they actually appeared, and which, which was a wonderful concept. And I remember we went through the, the system and there were the powers there that could do that, you, you know, and we just realized, well, that's that and that's that, you know, and it's, I mean, it was a wonderful concept that he had as well you know to sort of like bring it bring it together we was talking earlier on about the progression of Mithras in the sense that you can pick up things and you can change and one of the things that I'm always suggesting to my players is don't make a finished character make a character that can develop you know because that to me that's one of the the joyous things of role playing that the character that you start off with does not is not the same character that you finish with because experiences encounters change that what about in destiny is is that the same can you sort of like progress and change um yeah i think very much so and and to me that's the best kind of story is it something where you you really see that character develop you know if you have a one note character you're not going to be very excited about playing them for you know months, years, you know, however long your campaign's going to last. And I think, you know, that's something that you should plan ahead. And, and there is that, you know, it, within the system that, you know, you can evolve your character, you can evolve their powers. That was kind of the point when we designed the boosts and the limits is the idea that you can customize your powers and add to them. Um, even within my own group, what I'm seeing, which surprised me, was when I bumped them up to the next power level, I was waiting for them to pick some new powers, like Brian did. You know, I wanted to give them the option to pick out some different powers. And they were more interested in involving the powers they had, because they've already been playing those characters and kind of honing those powers into something that was more effective for them. And, and I, I was pleased to see that development. You know, they're not only redeveloping them in terms of their story, and trying, you know, for those characters who lost their memories to figure out who they were, 
and but also as a hero you know what would be more effective what would be more useful for them to do what they do when they're out trying to help people so i i think that's very much it, it should be a part of it and what mithras does very very well I really value that. And I think I, I think I would be one of those people who are actually developing my powers rather than slotting new ones in um, every every time. When, when's it due out? Let's get down to the nitty gritty, you know, because I, I know there's a lot of people. I think if you go to the forums, the most popular question is, when is something due? You know, it's very, all the, all of this, it's very tantalizing, all the posts, and, but everybody just like, when, when? I don't know if you, my second to last episode, um, Loz actually mentioned the, um, the date of one of the, of Leoness, I think it was, and it got cut out of my podcast, and <laughs> everybody thought it was a ploy to actually, <laughs> so I had to go back and redo it and slot it in. So, yeah, so when when will we see it on destined on our shelves then? No, I was going to say, I, I think we can safely say that we're going to come out before the next Avengers movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's probably a nice way to put it. Uh, yeah, you know, so having seen the way things kind of work on the back end of a publishing company, you know, firsthand, um, I Right now, as Mike mentioned at the beginning, uh, the book is in editorial, um, and so from there we have we have art direction, and then layout, and then proofing, and there's probably a couple of other steps in there I'm missing as well. I can't give you an exact date. Um, Laws is the man when it comes to that, and uh, I'll leave it to him. Hopefully, you can have him on, and you can you can push him for that. I'll quiz him on Saturday when he. <laughs> <laughs> Because yeah. it's it's so tantalizing. I, I just yeah. want, I just want it. But if people want to get into this sort of like that theme of playing, I think Agony and Ecstasy runs very well, doesn't it? And it has. I think I'm right in thinking it's got all the basic rules in there that y- you need to actually play. Right. Well, and I think in in the Mithras Imperative now that they put the powers from Agony and Ecstasy, and so even through that you can play a superhero game. And, and obviously there's some changes from that initial power set, um, but fundamentally it's very similar to what we had in Ag- Agony XT. It's just, it's more refined, I think, hope. And it's more, it's expanded from that. Um, we've had time to kind of develop it. And through Brian and I's games, we've you know had a lot of tweaks that we've made through the, for the power system and for the game as a whole. Um, so yeah, I mean, if you want to get a taste of it, you know, it's right there, you know, it's free to play, you know, just through the imperative itself. And then if you want to try out the actual adventure too, you know, that's, it, it actually feeds into, if you're interested in using the campaign materials we're going to have in the book, it actually feeds into that same story. So it's a continuation of what's in there. And it's well worth it. I've played it. Uh, it's very enjoyable well thank you very much for coming along to the Mythos Masters podcast I really do appreciate you giving up your time and it's been really interesting to hear about how you create your own characters as NPCs and the tantalising news about Destin as well hopefully sooner rather than later thank you thank you very much and that's it another episode of Mythos Matters completed 
I'm going to head off and make some more characters for my ever overflowing jam jar. So until next time, have a great month of gaming and I will chat again to you all in August when I'll have a review of the module we are currently playing in our campaign. Until then, I hope all your opposed roles succeed and provide you with a well-deserved special. Thanks for listening. See ya. Bye. content of this podcast is covered by the Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. So please give appropriate credit if you are sharing or copying any part of this podcast. Thank you.